Good morning, Boker Tov. It's great to be back together and uh, to be learning about Amuna and reinforcing and reinvigorating our collective Amuna muscle, working it out together. Our uh, sense of uh, faith, appreciation to see Hashem in our daily lives, which is what we always study together. We are starting a new parak, still in the same Sefer, Be'emunah So Yechia. Revolba's uh, wonderful Sefer collection of his essays and his teachings and his talks. Rav Shlomo Volba, again, the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. And uh, we've been studying different sections of this book. We continue now. Vad Beis, page Chav Gimel. You should all have copies in front of you. And Revolba shares the following. Acher, I have so many Amuna stories from my summer. But we'll, we'll, un- we'll unravel them slowly and, uh, and share them. Acher, Yishab Be'arnish Amuna Hikoach Ba'adam. Nigash Levaris Mahusa Shal Koach Zeh. After we explain that Amuna is a koach ba'adam, it's a power within us. In other words, Revolba had, had explained, and this is so critical and fundamental to a notion of a life of faith, is that Amuna is not just some philosophical idea. Amuna is not theology or philosophy. Amuna is um, a part of ourselves. It's who we are. It's how we live our lives. It's a relationship. My relationship with my wife is not abstract, it's not theoretical, it's not philosophical, it's not theological, it's not ideological. My relationship with my wife is a relationship, hopefully loving and romantic and closeness and yearning and longing and and confiding in one another. So similarly, our relationship with Hashem, if we relegate it to simply being a question of faith in the abstract, what are the proofs, the evidence for God's existence? How do I know? How do I understand theodicy? Why do bad things happen to good people? These are important questions. I'm not suggesting that they're not important. Every now and then within one's own relationship, one tries to identify things, work on things, ask important questions. I'm not suggesting they're not important, but at its core, at its foundation, fundamentally, it's a relationship. It's a loving connection. Koach hu adin. Adin means it's gentle. It's... it's um, how do you describe Adin? Koach Amuna hu Adin va'alul lihipaga bekalos mikochas nefesh pegumim sheim amidos va'tayvas hashlilios. The more um, gentle, the more fragile, the more precious something is, the more vulnerable it is to be broken, to be shattered. The more, the more uh, exposed to the elements can compromise or undermine it. He'll describe exactly what he means in a moment. But what are those threats from the outside that challenge it? Hamidos v'ataivos hashlidios. It means that a person's uh, qualities in life. Anger. Every time that we are tempted to get angry, every time we have an impulse to raise our voice, to yell, to get angry, to be frustrated, to have an outburst, that is undermining our amuna. It's undermining our amuna. Because our amuna would say, that not everyone and not everything falls in line exactly the way we want. And while we take initiative to make it better, we can't get angry. We can't lose our cool. It is the way it is. It is the way it's meant to be. And it'll be what it'll be. And we have to accept that. It doesn't mean that we have to become passive to it. It doesn't mean that we have to become fatalistic to it. We take our initiative. But within taking our initiative, we recognize it is what it is. So anger undermines every time we get angry. Every time we're jealous, we see what someone else has and we want it. It undermines our amuna because we say, I deserve it. Why don't I have it? Why do they have it? Why do they deserve it? Where's your faith to know that you have what you need and what you truly deserve? So we don't have to go through all the examples, but all the negative mitos, all the negative qualities and behaviors in our lives, those impulsive thoughts and outbursts, 
they're not just negative because what they do to us. They're not just negative because what they do to our relationships. They're negative at their core because they undermine our sense of emuna. So throughout a day when we have those thoughts or those challenges, throughout the day when we, have, when we get anxious or angry or envious, throughout the day when we're confronting those impulses within ourselves, we're not just fighting that actual impulse, but we're trying to fight to keep our emuna alive. It's so hard. We learn about it in the- I'm the one who's teaching it, and it's so hard. It's so hard to maintain that sense of, of, of mindfulness, that things are the way that they're meant to be, that I'm not driving, I'm not running the show, that I do everything I can and need to do, but beyond that, I have to submit. The Chazanish begins to say, we learned this together in one of the way earlier sessions of our Amuna classes. The Midah of Amuna is a, a very, uh, of, of the gentle qualities of the soul. It is fragile, small, gentle. A person who gives in to the temptations, a person who is driven by their impulse and by their compulsion, the world looks like a closed puzzle. So what we see is that Amuna is a Mida. We've spoken about this many times, but it deserves speaking about many more until we get it right. Amuna is not um, philosophy. It's a Mida, it's a character trait. We don't think of it that way. We think about Amuna as I go to Amuna class. We study evidence for God's existence. We explore the universe. We understand philosophy. And the longer we spend, the more time, so the more advanced we are, the more sophisticated we are. That's not what Amuna is. It is a Mida. It's a Mida. Patience is a Mida. Uh, generosity is a Mida. Calmness is a Mida. All these are qualities within the human spirit, and Amuna is a quality within the human spirit. We adopt that quality. A person is either patient or they're angry. A person is either stingy or they're generous. A person is either patient or they're impatient. We understand that those are all qualities. And the same thing, it's in that rubric that Amuna fits. We either are, have Amuna, we are faithful, or we're unfaithful. Unfaithful to God, I don't even mean necessarily violating his mitzvahs. You can keep scrupulously and vigilantly 613 mitzvahs of Hashem and be totally and utterly unfaithful. How are you unfaithful? What do you mean? I said my hundred brachos. Oh, I met Max. Remember the boy who sent me all the index cards with the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I met Max. Oh. Wonderful young man. Now we're going to get him married. That's our mission. He's a wonderful young man. So I'll tell you more about him offline. So um, why did I say that? Oh, you could say your hundred brachas every day. Thank you. You could say your hundred brachas every day. You could be scrupulous with the kashras and with Shabbos and with business ethics and not speak Lashonara. You could do it all. But then you get impatient. Then you get angry. Then you get envious. Then you get anxious. And you've cut God out of the equation and out of your life. It's like saying, what do you mean my marriage is bad? I take out the garbage. My dirty laundry makes it into the hamper. I pick up the things I'm asking from the grocery store. I gave a card on the anniversary. Like, what's the problem, honey? What do you mean that our marriage is dry and empty and withered, has no romance, no love? Like, what are you talking? I check, 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 check. What are you talking about? So my wife would say, that's nice. And that is very, very important. The cornerstone of marriage is the 
all those check marks, those are really important, right? Love is, is a verb, it's not, a, it's not an adjective or a noun. It has to be action, it's nice, but all of that is a platform to create a relationship, a connection. So when you have no interest in me, you don't confide in me, you don't trust me, you don't lean on me, you don't talk to me, you don't listen to me. Nice that you're doing all the checks, but what kind of marriage do we have? So the Rebona Shalom says the same thing. Check, 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 check. Kosher, Shabbos, Brachos, Davening, Tztaka, Lashnara, business, all check, check, check. But then I'm in a red light, then my flight's delayed, then the business didn't go I want, then my children didn't act, then my neighbors got a new car and I don't, and all goes out the window because where's the relationship? Where's the talking to Hashem? Where's the listening to Hashem? Hashem is talking to us all the time. He's sending us messages each and every day. He's talking directly to us. Are we listening? There's nothing more cruel than somebody who's talking to you and you don't listen. I recently uh, quoted, I don't remember where, but the Rambam, when he talks about why we fast, and the Rambam talks about the purpose of a fast day, we just had one and we're shortly going to have another, is not to deprive ourselves of food and physical pleasure, it's to cause a sense of introspection and reflection. It's to examine our priorities, to examine our lives and our lifestyles. And the Rambam talks about that the reason, uh, you know, on a fast day, invoking from the Tochacha, that Kosh um, Baruch says, if you walk with me, Bekeri, then he'll react to us, Bekeri. And Kari's Lashon Mikra, chance and happenstance. And the Rambam writes that if you live life, that everything that in your life is chance and random and happenstance, it is cruel. It is cruel. Midas Achzarius. The question is, why does the Rambam describe it as Achzarius? Cruelty. It may be foolish, it may be ignorant, it may be mistaken, but why is it cruel? What's cruel about it? So, I still remember all the way back to my Sheva because my brother-in-law said this Dvar Torah and he quoted this Rambam and he said, because there's few things more cruel than someone's talking to you and you're totally ignoring them. There's three things more cruel. Someone's calling your name, you hear them calling your name, but you choose to ignore them. It's downright cruel. If you've ever been in that position, you're calling your children, you're calling someone else, and they're just ignoring you and you see them ignoring you. It's cruel. It truly tests you. If you're trying to talk to someone and they're ignoring you, it's just cruel. So he suggested, what the Rambam is saying is, Hashem is talking to us all the time through the things that happen in our lives. And when we ignore them and ignore Him and don't see that communication, we don't answer that call, it's downright cruel. It's cruel. I had it in the parsha a few weeks ago, in Parsha's Balak, when Bilam is uh, going to curse the Jewish people, and the Malach is blocking his path, is standing in his way. And when the Malach becomes visible, Bilam responds and he says, Chatasi. I'm so sorry, I made a mistake, I sinned. Chatasi, I take responsibility. The Sfarno is bothered. What do you mean, Bilam, you're wrong? What do you mean you take responsibility or you're sorry? What did you do wrong? The Malach was invisible, was hidden. When you hit the donkey, because you didn't see the Malach, why are you taking responsibility? Why are you accountable? Why do you have to say Chatasi? And the Sfarno says something incredibly important. The Sfarno says, you know, the Malach was visible but Bilaam didn't see it. And what Bilaam is saying is Khatasi, that you were in front of me all along, you were sending me a message, and I ignored it, I didn't see it. And for that, I am responsible, and I am accountable. And Rashi there on that Pasuk talks about, Kodesh Baruch Hu sends a Malach all the time in our lives. Sometimes the Malach opens up a path. Sometimes like with Bilaam, the Malach blocks a path. But that's also for our own good. When you block one avenue, it opens up another, and that's also a generous and gracious gift to us. I know so many people 
who were pushing hard down one path, whether it was a shidduch that wasn't meant to be, or whether it was a job interview or opportunity that wasn't right for them. And they were trying to force it. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu, like with Bilam, sent a malach to block their path. It didn't work out. And you know what? Another path opened up and it was the right one. It took them to their promised land, to their goal. So we have to realize, even while we're going through it, that while that malach is blocking our path to say, that's true, that's also a malach Hashem Tzavakos. Why do I have this wall? Why is there this blockage? Why is it stopping me when I want it so badly? Sometimes we have to say, I've taken all my initiative, I've done everything I can to make it work. It's not meant to be, and that's a gift from Hashem. Because if it's not meant to be, I don't want it to be. Why would we want something not meant to be to be? If it's not in our best, we should give up the path that really is for us and fight through to get through this blockade, which is stopping us for a reason because we're going to fall off a cliff on the other side of the sign that says stop driving, stop pushing, stop going. So what was true with Bilam? Says the Svarna Khatasi, we make that mistake. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through his angels, his ambassadors, namely the events of our lives, is sending us messages all the time. He is communicating with us. And we are meant to communicate with him. And when we ignore his communication, and when we fail to communicate ourselves, it is cruel. And it means we have no relationship. Amuna is a mida, it's more than just a mitzvah. The Rambam doesn't include the mitzvah of Amuna in his Minyan HaMitzvos. And we saw the Salonim Rebbe said, why? Because it's foundational to life. You know what else he doesn't include in his Minyan HaMitzvos? The mitzvah to breathe. What do you mean? But if I don't breathe, I'll die. Shouldn't it be the first of the Taryag? Don't forget to breathe. I don't have to be told to breathe. If I don't breathe, I'm not alive. It's a prerequisite to mitzvos. It's not included as one of the mitzvos. It's a prerequisite to mitzvos. Amuna is a prerequisite to mitzvos. Without it, I'm not alive. Without it, I'm not breathing. Without it, I don't exist. So it's a midu. So it is a quality. And how do we realize that quality best within us? How does it come out and express itself? How does it manifest itself? How do we realize our best selves? When we are free, when we can rid ourselves and we can transcend the physical desires and drives and appetites that consume us. For material possessions, for material pleasures, for ego. We have all these obstacles. They're competing. Inside us, we know there's a Rebona Shalom, and we know we have a relationship with Him, and we get great pleasure from that relationship. But you know what gets in the way? Our ego, our sense of self. It's true in every relationship in life. My wife wants milchiks, and I want fleshik. She wants to go here, and I want to go there. She says, let's go out, and I want to stay home. She says, let's do that, I want to do that. Well, every relationship has its friction, where your ego, your sense of self, is competing with the priorities, the needs, the wants of the other. And at the core of every healthy relationship is the ability to navigate and negotiate that tension, that conflict. And the same is true in our relationship with the Rebona Shalom. If my whole life is driven by me, 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 what I want, what I want, what I want, what will advance my ego, my ego, my ego, then even if I'm doing all the check marks towards Hashem, but HaKadosh Baruch is not at the center, I'm not in a real relationship. I'm in a relationship with myself and Torah and mitzvos is another means to advance myself, my honor, my feeling good and satisfied, my feeling that I'm doing what I'm supposed to. But if it's about HaKadosh Baruch Hu first, then I have to overcome those other qualities. Matzanu, b'rishonam shekarim la'amuna seichel. 
common sense. It's common sense to have a Muna. We think the default is to be an atheist or an agnostic. Now prove to me there's a God. I have to go to fancy philosophy courses. I have to subscribe to countless Amuna, WhatsApps and emails and text messages and shiurim and books. The default or the, the status quo is, I'm not sure. Agnostic, I hedge. Now prove to me there's a God. But says Ravoba, quoting the Rishonim, no, Amuna is seichel. Amuna is common sense. The default is, there's a creator. This magnificent world with its details, its minutia, the magnificent world with everything that's in it, it didn't just come to be. The book in front of you didn't come to be because someone spilled a bottle of ink. The building didn't come to be because a hurricane blew the materials to create a building. The painting didn't come to be because someone uh, knocked over the ink. Some painting looks like someone knocked over ink. I don't understand why people pay enormous amounts of money for such painting. But I'm saying the painting that looks like something that someone didn't knock over. We all know that. It's common sense to know that if there's disorder that came to order in the form of a book or a sculpture or a building or, or anything, there's a designer. Someone put it together. There's an author, a builder, an architect. We understand that. We understand it intuitively. We understand it as common sense. I don't have to think about it. No one has to prove it to me. No one has to make the argument to me. So why when we look at this world, all of a sudden, the world, which is... Um, many, many, many times more complex and difficult and detailed than any book or sculpture or building. And that we look at and say, mm, maybe it came to be on its own. Who knows? Prove to me. Prove to me. What do you mean? That same common sense should drive us to that same exact conclusion and to know that there is a Ribbon Shalom in the world. The default is to know there is Hashem. Then we have impediments and obstacles that get in the way. And the mission of Amuna to realize Amuna is to peel back those layers of obstacles and impediments called appetite, desire, jealousy, anger, envy, anxiousness. Peel that away and you'll realize that Hashem and life is so much better with Him. I don't understand how one gets through life without Him. Is it better to be sitting at a, the bedside of a terminal patient and for the family to say, well, there's statistics, X percent of the population is going to get this dreaded illness and I guess... You know, my loved one is just a lucky winner. Is that more comforting than saying there's a God, he's omnipotent, he puts the whole world together, I don't understand it, but there's a reason? I don't understand where someone finds the strength to endure, to persevere, whatever in life, without, without feeling, without seeing, without recognizing. Life is so much better with him. There's a general principle in the world. The more precious something is, the more delicate, that's the word, din, delicate, the more delicate something is, the more likely it will break, the more fragile it is. So we were on vacation and we were in a place they do glass blowing, magnificent, magnificent, of course you have to buy then a piece of glowing glass, <laughs> fine, so, but you worry, why am I buying it all the way over there, it'll never make it home, <laughs> however you wrap it, whatever you put it in the suitcase, why, like, I know at the outset, Baruch Hashem, it made its way home, but your attitude is, it's never going to make its way home. Why? Now, if I bought a rock, I don't even need any bubble wrap. Just put it in the suitcase, and it's good to go. If I bought a block of metal, just put it in the suitcase. No bubble wrap, it's good to go. I'll just stick it between sweatshirts, it's good to go. But you buy glowing blasts, 
blown glass. So you have very little chance of getting it home. Because the more, what word did I say? Fragile. Delicate. The more delicate, the more, I'm just getting back into it. The more delicate, the more fragile something is, the more likely it will break. It's a lot harder to safeguard your fine crystal than it is your, your iron, your metal. So the same is true with Amuna. Amuna is so delicate and it's so fragile and it's so challenging that it needs an extra layer of vigilance. It needs more guarding and safekeeping than other qualities. Other qualities, they're not so delicate. They're foundational. So if I have it, I have it. It's there, it's there. I'm good to go. But this quality, this quality is so delicate, it's so fragile, that it doesn't take much for it to break, for it to shatter into pieces. And you see that. The people who have not safeguarded their amuna, a little something happens in life, a stub toe, a slow Wi-Fi connection, a traffic incident, and it's gone, it's shattered, it's broken into pieces. But the person who has constantly exercised and worked out that amuna muscle, and it's strong, and it's vibrant, and they are safeguarding and protecting it regularly, then it is protected even from a grave danger. It will not shatter into pieces. It will be kept whole. It will be kept whole. Look how much ground we're covering. We're flying. We're on the next page. We have in the Igeris Ramban a letter the Ramban sent to his son. And here's an example. The letter the Ramban, Rab Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides in the 12th century, who moved to, uh, to Israel, sent to his son. What can I tell you about this land when he arrives in Israel? Akko. What can I tell you about this precious land? It is greatly abandoned, and it is vastly desolate. He says, the holier something is, the more broken, the more devastation or destruction when it is lost. Yerushalayim, when the Ramban got there, was more abandoned, was more desolate, was more destroyed than elsewhere. There it's Yehuda Yosem and Galil, and Yehuda, a holier region than the Galil, was more desolate than the Galil. Klomar, kikol shadavar chashav umeromeim hu Yoser alul lihipaga. The more significant, the more exalted something is, the more delicate, the more easily it'll be broken, and the more devastating that breakage, the more devastating that shattering, the more. Overwhelming, the greater the sense of loss. So the deeper the sense of the feeling of loss and the devastation and destruction, it's a reflection of just how holy, how exalted, how special. And that's what we're mourning in these three weeks. That's what we're thinking about and we're counting down towards. It's hard for us. What the Ramban is describing, we don't relate to whatsoever. Yerushalayim abandoned. Yerushalayim is expanding and building and sophisticated and beautiful and ornate and filled with sounds of joy and splendor. We're seeing the prophecy of coming true. That's why it's particularly challenging for us these three weeks. Not these three weeks, the three weeks each year. Because we feel we're in a time of redemption, not of exile. 
we don't identify at all with what the Ramban describes here, what Mark Twain describes when he went to Israel. We don't identify with it. In fact, there's a whole halachic discussion, not for now, about whether to say the paragraph of Nachim on Tisha B'av. The paragraph of Nachim, which is inserted at Mincha on Tisha B'av, is filled with descriptive language of, of how abandoned, desolate, destroyed Yerushalayim is. And it bears no semblance to our current reality at all. And you're not allowed to lie in your tefillos. How could you describe something that's untrue? So there's a halachic literature. We once gave a shir. There's a whole halachic literature, chuvos and chuvos, about should we um, edit Nachem? Or do we continue Nachem? Should Nachem even be omitted? There's a discussion. Again, overwhelmingly, we leave Nachem exactly as it is. Because the destruction is not a fit, the description is not a physical description, it is an existential metaphysical one. And the bottom line is we are still deeply in a period of exile. And if you think about just our community's recent loss and the current challenges of incredibly special people, it, we're, in a, we're in a period of tremendous deep gallus and churban, a tremendous sense of churban, which is what it's about. But the Ramban's point is that the holier something is, the deeper the pain, the greater the sense of loss, the greater the destruction when it's no longer here, when it's no longer here. So Amuna is so delicate, it's so fragile, it needs even greater protection. So the rock, it goes right in my suitcase, it doesn't need bubble wrap. But the new piece of glass work, glass artwork, ooh, it needs its own suitcase and triple layered bubble wrap and 17 sweaters and <laughs> carrying it, taking it in the carry-on and checking on it every five minutes. Why? Because it's so delicate and it's so precious. And Muna is delicate and it's precious, it needs bubble wrap. It needs bubble wrap in our lives. Bubble wrap in our lives means it needs vigilance, it needs effort, it needs mindfulness, it needs conscientiousness. All right, so I'll tell you some stories. So, which one should I start with? How do, you, how do you show vigilance? How do we do mindfulness? How do we do mindfulness? Very difficult. Very difficult. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this one. So, um, we traveled this summer, and a good two months before we traveled, Yecheved had to renew one of my children's passports. So it's always a passport story, right? <laughs> so we, um, I don't want to take too much time, I want to get back to learning, but she went through, filled out the forms, went to the place, submitted it, plenty of lead time, not a problem, should get the passport, right? No problem. We've done it before, we've got the passport easily within a short time. That's two months before the trip. It's now three weeks before the trip, the passport hasn't arrived. Contacts the passport people. Yeah, we see it, it's in process in the system, hold tight. It's 10 days before the trip, no passport. Oh, God. Passport people say, yeah, I don't know what's taking so long. It says it's in process, it should be there. Um, you could pay a fee to expedite it, you'll get it right away. I suggest even though you have plenty of time still, 10 days, it's worth it to know you have. Pay the fee, gladly expedite it, just give it to us in 24 hours, want to get this passport. Nine days, eight days, seven days, five days. No pass keep calling, keep having no answer, but we paid to expedite it. Why isn't it here? We were leaving on a Monday evening, and it's now Friday, no passport. Shabbos, the last day it could be delivered, no passport. Sunday, there's no one to talk to. Monday morning, is it coming today? It shows it's still in process. Well, what should we do? We're leaving today. It's a huge family, the whole family was celebrating a, a family milestone. They said, uh, well, you just have to, you'll have to delay your trip. Well, that's not an option. What does that mean? Anyway, fast forward. So the only thing option you have is going to Manhattan, the passport office, 
Do your best to try to expedite that, try to get it. This is Monday morning at 10 a.m. We are leaving on a 6 p.m. flight. So I take my daughter, we go fly down to Manhattan. I mean fly, I mean in a car. Um, in a car, I mean fly just the speed that we drove. And, uh, and we go there and get to the building and there's a line around the corner. I'm not gonna take you through the whole story, but thank God we got into the building and from the building we got to the right floor and on the right floor we got on the right enormous line and we got to that front of the line and we explained the situation and we gave them all materials and the person said, well, I see that it's in process elsewhere. They'll need to transfer because the documents were all submitted into that office. They'll need to transfer it. Hopefully they can do it immediately. Sometimes it takes some time. We'll have to see. So all we could do is just sit and wait. And in those moments, the whole reason I'm sharing this story with you is because in those moments is the test of the fragile, delicate emuna. Does it shatter and break into pieces? Or can you take deep breaths, sit there and realize whatever's meant to be is meant to be. If we're going to get it, we'll get it. If we're going to get on this flight, we'll get on this flight. If we have to go a couple days later and catch up, the th- whatever's meant, there is a master plan. This is all for a reason. Who knows what it is? And uh, we're looking all day for what that reason is. But there's a, there's a reason. All you could do is sit and wait. And that's just one example just from my small life and it happens in all of our lives of each and every day, the, the fragile, delicate, vulnerable amuna that if it's not safeguarded and protected and we don't have the mindfulness and the, and the vigilance to protect it, it will shatter. Now, I'll tell you, as we sat there waiting and waiting and waiting and watching the time tick by and feeling closer and closer, and I hadn't yet packed, which is my minhug. Oh, so gosh. my daughter, I'm so proud, said to me, Abba, maybe we should each take upon ourselves a Kabbalah. Let's accept something upon ourselves that in that merit, they'll get it done and we'll get it and we'll make this trip. She initiated that, not me. So we each took upon ourselves something, shared it with one another in that moment. And shortly afterwards, they called us to our window and Baruch Hashem, the passport was ready. And we drove like mad people to get back and grabbed our bags and made it to the airport and Baruch Hashem had a beautiful trip. And I share it with you. First of all, I think it was, it was a beautiful thought that my daughter had and, and Baruch Hashem, we've both been trying to keep up with the Kabbalahs that we took that day. You can't, Never mind, God, I got the passport, I'm good. <laughs> uh, never mind, it came through. Don't have, don't have to do the Kabbalah. You got to remember that the reason it came through, maybe, is because you took upon that Kabbalah and to keep it going. But it's, it's one small, short example of, of the importance of protecting that amuna, that mida, that quality. In other words, as you're sitting there, there's two directions you can go, right? As you're sitting there in this very... Uh, interesting scene of people from all over the world of all modes of dress and appearance and attitude and life and lifestyle, <coughs> waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and you're sitting there and you're saying to the Rebona Shalom, this isn't my fault. This isn't negligence on our part. We didn't wake up the last day. We forgot that we never got a new passport. Or we forgot the passport at home. We did everything right. Sometimes you do everything right, everything correctly. But you're asked to go through yet another step in a process. And within the challenges that life throws our way. This was an absolute nothing. We'd gladly, gladly take it any day. But you're sitting there and you're saying, it's a trip and it's planned for and it's prepared and it's a big family thing and we're going to be late. And why? So there's one of two things. You could either sit there and your breathing is shallow and you're anxious and your sweat glands are pouring out sweat and you're anxious and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're... And will all that produce the passport any faster? No. no. What will it do? 
What will it do? It'll give you hypertension, diabetes, high blood pressure. It'll make you fight with your daughter and your spouse and your parents. It'll make you... What will it do? All it will do is ruin your life. Or the only other alternative is to sit there, to take a few deep breaths and to say, look at the precious time I have with my daughter and I'm going to pass the time by learning or reading or sitting here or talking and it'll be what it's meant to be. And of all the challenges that exist in the world, it's a nothing. And there's a reason. There's a reason I may yet discover it, I may never discover it, but there's a reason. That's one small example, but those are often the two choices that we have. Now, which one are we driven to? Which one does our impulse tell us, tell us to have? It's exactly what Revolb is describing. The natural instinct, the natural impulse in a person is the anger, anxiousness, fear, worry, <laughs> That's that, the blood pressure. That, that's the natural tendency. Mm-hmm. So that means that we, that's why we have to be even more vigilant to achieve the other and to, and to uh, express the sense of amuna, the sense of faith in our lives. And then when things do work out, do we write them down? Do we record them? So I'm going to give Shir on this another time more comprehensively with many sources. But I'll just tell you, there was a letter that was co-authored by Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky Zatzal. And in the letter they co-author, they say that a wonderful way to grow and to work on emuna is to have a hashgacha pratis diary, to keep a journal of where you see Hashem in your life. Mm-hmm. Keep a journal of where you see Hashem in your life. In other words, you could wake up in your life and say, where is Hashem? Why doesn't He talk to me? He spoke to all of our prophets and our forefathers. If He would speak to me, then I would believe in Him. He doesn't help me. He's never there for me. He doesn't speak to me. I don't know that He's there. Say Rav Moshe and Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, every day keep a journal, a diary of where Hashem was in your life and boy will you realize and will you feel and will you turn to Him and imagine the relationship that you'll have. So I was learning that in a Sefer with another one of my daughters and we decided we started a WhatsApp group for our family, just my children, my wife and myself. The name of the WhatsApp group is Hashkacha Prata's Diary and each day we ask each of the children and us to post something in our shared WhatsApp group of where you saw Hashem in your life. And from when we started that in the trip, every day, first of all, it causes, it forces you to try to look to see and to feel. And when you share, now there's a healthy competitiveness that, oh, my sister put something, I got to put something that I saw, that I felt, that I knew. And there are, there are, you know, whether it's the fact that the bag was a little overweight and we had the nicest person when we checked in at the airport and she helped us because she said we're a big family so she didn't even weigh them and thank you Hashem for that Ashkacha Pratis that even though there was a big line it broke up in small lines we ended up with the right person. Thank you HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that uh, I'm talking small, minute, insignificant, inconsequential things but if you're looking and examining and trying to find them you'll see Hashem talking to you throughout the day blocking some paths and opening some paths. Thank you, Hashem, that even though the weather said it was supposed to rain the entire day, and we were out for the whole day, it rained before we left, and it rained when we came back, but it didn't rain the whole time that we were out. Now, ordinarily, if you don't have that WhatsApp group, you don't keep that journal, it would just be like, okay, you didn't even notice. Maybe you say, aren't we lucky? It didn't rain during the day while we were out. Maybe. Aren't we lucky? Are you lucky? Is that what it was? Was it luck? So, but when you keep that journal, you see Hashem's hand in our life. It's expressing, it's working out that midah, that muscle. You could keep a journal that you don't show anybody. You could create a WhatsApp group that you're creating some healthy competitiveness or camaraderie and sharing those experiences together. However we do it, though, that is how we increase and work on that emuna. So we'll pick up from here next week. But what the, what the Revolba is expressing, the important principle that Revolba is establishing for us is that emuna is fragile, it's delicate. 
and therefore it's not the default. Don't assume that you're just going to have Amuna unless the contrary. Work on Amuna and protect it, otherwise it becomes shattered into pieces. Um, we do not yet have a sponsor for this year's Living with Amuna series for the year. If you're open to sponsoring it for the whole year, in honor and memory of someone, please uh, feel free to speak to me or to Matthew. It will be included in all of our literature on the website, introduced uh, every share that we have. So we welcome your support and uh, that opportunity. If you'd like, please uh, feel free to speak to, as I said, me or Matthew. Have a fantastic day. Thank you.